Welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing <laughs> recorded around the various boroughs of New York City. <laughs> I'm Calvin Reed, senior news editor of Publishers Weekly, editor of PW Comics World and editor of The Fanatic, PW's twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the editor-in-chief of The Beat, the news blog of comics culture at comicsbeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter at at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on the Apple Podcast app, on Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher. And on Facebook, we're at Facebook.com slash PWComicsWorld. And also, don't forget, you can let us know how we're doing by leaving us a rating, leaving us a comment, or giving us feedback in any shape or form. Even you could tweet at us, for instance, um, at, at PW Comics World, if you wish. But uh, we'd love to get feedback, so please let us know how we're doing. Talk to us, please. All right, this week on More to Come, big check for check, please. Uh, we'll recap the U.S. Book Show. Uh, comings and goings around the comics industry. Pullbox finally arrives. St. Mark's Comics returns. And we're going to give you some update on streaming news. So, a big check for a check, please. Yes, indeed. Uh, so, yeah, well, uh, you know, Ngozi Okazu's uh, beloved webcomic, Check Please, um, which, uh, Kate, you were the first interview with her. Yes. I think you had the first time about her on a podcast. You were so ahead of the curve. Um, yeah, it was kind of her first moment in the uh, publishing press spotlight, but I do not uh, claim credit for her success. Check Please <laughs> is a beloved sort of, how we put this, um, slice of life dash um, gay romance slash hockey story slash college story webcomic that is, you know, light and good natured, but also deals with topics of things like depression and coming out. And it is much beloved as a webcomic and has been very successful in Kickstarter on the pa in the past. But now it has become so successful in its Kickstarter of the fourth and final volume that it is now the highest funded uh, webcomics Kickstarter of all time. Yes, it raised, I'm just looking at the final campaign, it raised $580,000, <laughs> so not too shabby. Yeah, and then also, when you take into account the fact that this is only one of four, so yes. that $580,000 that doesn't even count the first three Kickstarters. Yeah, well, it was a pretty steady growth. I, I, when I wrote my story, I went back and I did look at the uh, at the previous ones, and now I forgot to uh, to have a new window. That's a note to self. <laughs> have uh, links open in a new window. Um, but yeah, the first one, when it was still a little bit under the radar, made um, let's see, seventy four thousand dollars. Certainly nothing to sneeze at. Year two made $398,000. Um, year three, a little bit less, $353,000. And then there was also the Chirp book, which was $91,000. So, uh, yeah, the, the final volume, the pretty huge, pretty huge um, 
cake there for Ngozi. Uh, congrats to her. That's a really yeah. You know, you can add another her. slash to the the line describing this whole uh, thing. Uh, transformative about you know uh, self publishing and crowdfunding on Kickstarter for comics. Uh, obviously, there are some comics that have raised even more money, but really, she has really pioneered how that the crowdfunding platform can really just transform a property and just bring it to ever more uh, readers. Yeah, well, she right. works with, with George Rohack, you know, who mm-hmm. we've had a better guest on the show quite a few times. So, you know, they're a pretty awesome team, I will say that. Um, yeah, sorry, Kate. Well, what I was going to say is that she's now teamed up with uh, First Second, and they are bringing out the bookstore edition of her her mm-hmm. books, but um, in kind of an interesting deal because I think – I think publishers really are trying to figure out how to work with crowdfunding. Um, The crowdfunding does not fund the first, second volume. The crowdfunding goes to a special um, Kickstarter-only volume. Yeah. Um, And and first, second's cool with that. So it works out for everybody. Yeah, and for this edition, I mean, obviously they have learned – uh, the science of what kind of stretch goals people like. Um, for this one, they had special T-shirts. I mean, they had hockey jerseys. Uh, you know, there's a slipcase that holds all four volumes. Uh, you know, I mean, who wouldn't want that? If you're a fan of this book, um, of course you're going to want to get all these bells and whistles because it really makes it special. You know, a Jack Zimmerman alt captain jersey. That was <laughs> yes. the special stretch goal, and um, they did it. Yeah. No, it's really amazing. I, I, I was lucky enough to be able to interview her. I mean, I, long after Kate did, but at, at the uh, at TCAF a couple of years ago, delightful person, incredibly talented. Um, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to what she's going to be working on Nick. I mean, she talked about that a little bit. Uh, apparently, she's got another. She's a real sports fan, uh, mm-hmm. but she brings in so many other elements in it. It's just a delightful series, fun to read, beautifully illustrated. Great art. Yeah. Great oh, yeah. art. Um, because it's not uh, she, just pretty; it's very expressive. Oh it's, yeah, yeah. It's very light and and uh, it has that thing that a lot of comics artists do well, but a lot of comics cover artists who just do covers don't, which is that you can read the story and the emotions. In the drawings. Yes, that is absolutely one of the things that I always say. When well, the cartoonist could capture all kinds of shades of emotions in their artwork, it's really one of the keys to the really, truly great comics is is that kind of emotion. And Ngozi absolutely has it. And, you know, I think uh, it's absolutely a queer romance, and mm-hmm. the way it approaches it mm-hmm. is so – um, human and, and accepting and uh, joyous. And, you know, of course there's drama. Of course there's misunderstandings. And, you know, the road to love is never a smooth one. And, but it's, it's just, it's, it's really an uplifting comic too. I'll say no, that. Really. It's, yeah. And I, and I talked to her a little bit about the influence of, of manga. I mean, which is really, really nothing like manga for, for, for doing sports comics. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. And and you can see the influence in her work and it, very dynamic, kinetic drawings, um, as well as the more tender uh, even, you know, even the scenes of um, in the earlier volumes on on the campus with Samuel. Just great. It, yeah. It just yeah, just we love you and Gozi. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, and the thing is, she's still quite young and at the very, very beginning of her career. So, you know, I, I look forward to seeing a lot more from her. 
I do too. I mean, it's funny you say you say that. I mean, I hope that she does not fall to this sophomore slump. Um, you know, just the tangential. I noticed that a couple of weeks ago on Instagram, uh, Brian Lee O'Malley was posting about how it was like the uh, 15th anniversary of Scott Pilgrim Volume Three. And, um, yeah, you know, I don't want to say where are you now because he's certainly still around. And people are still talking about Scott Pilgrim, but uh, you know there was a little, there was a little melancholy, I think, in his his posts about it. Just that you know he was so young, and this comic came mm. out, and um, another game so, changer, that's yeah, it was for sure. total game changer in so many ways. And uh, you know even the haters now admit that it was great. You know, of course, the movie's a cult classic now. So, oh, um, the, the yeah. movie's a great one of the best examples of a book being turned, a, a collaborative process about turning a book mm-hmm. into a film. And 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 doing justice both to the book and adding features that you know only a, a movie could do. It, it, yeah. yeah, but that's yeah, another. That's Kate, another are, Kate is, is Jack please um, in the works at all for any media adaptations? Yeah, good point. Um, not that I've seen. My guess is that she's going to be very protective of it because yes. media properties have a real way of screwing up anything gay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, they, they just do. There's a really bad history of, like, either turning something into, like, Z-grade, no budget, not very well done, or going the, let's make it just slightly plausibly deniable so we can get straight people to watch it. When it's like, you do realize that, like, straight people read Check, Please. It's okay. But, um, you know, I, I think she's going to be very protective of it. I mean, she right, was. I agree. I would say, I mean, specifically, I think she is going to be very protective of it because for two reasons. One, when I did my interview with her, which admittedly was in the very early days before she really had it down, but still, she was extremely worried and cagey and protective mm-hmm. of her comic. Like, she wanted to make sure that she was not trapped into saying something that came off wrong, into somehow accidentally representing it wrong. Like, she wanted to make sure that, you know, she was putting this comic's best foot forward, which, I mean, I respect and understand. Um, But I, I don't think that's changed. I think that she cares very much about protecting this comic. Um, and I, I think that really has is why she does so well with the Kickstarter and why she does so well online because she loves it and she's a very clear vision of what it is. And also she comes out of fandom, so she doesn't have any illusions about what an adaptation could end up like. So I... I would not bet any money that there will be any adaptation anytime soon. And if there is, it's going to be something really special because just as uh, in our ongoing interview series, Ryoka Ikeda is really, really protective of Rosa Versailles. <laughs> yes, as we learned. Uh, yeah. Ngozi Ukazu is equally protective of Check, Please. Yeah. Which, well, I mean, I think it's very much for both of them, their passion project that they, they love, and that's what makes it great. And, you know, I think uh, Ngozi is really the model of the 21st century cartoonist, you know. I mean, she's really um, shown how to do it, you know, in a way 
that is, like you said, very protective, owning it all, really controlling it. Uh, you know, she's a great partner in First Second for the bookstore editions, obviously. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, luckily we have a great publisher like First Second that can, will make a great partner for someone who is as protective as Ngozi. Um, but you, you know, the stars have aligned for it and, um, it's really, I, you know, she's a role model, uh, and she deserves all the success. She really does. Yeah. She's really, um, you know, can, just can't say enough good things about her and just how she comports herself and, um, you know, the quality of her work. It's, um, she should be a role model. So, uh, but yeah, Calvin, um, we're all a little mm. exhausted. We're a little tuckered out. Uh, you know, I'm tuckered out from uh, Deadline for PW with my library story, which we'll talk about next time since it'll be out then. But, um, Calvin, you're a little tuckered out from the U.S. Book Show. We were talking about that last time. Well, yeah, uh, getting prepared for the panels, um, covering some of the, uh, you know, some of the panels. But uh, the U.S. Book Show PW's, um, you know, inaugural effort at organizing an online um a book trade show to bring the entire industry together, uh, it, it, it essentially to kind of uh, as a well replacement for a book expo. Uh, well, by all measures, it was a rousing success, um, and it was such such a success that apparently the magazine already has announced that we're going to be doing it again in 2022. Yes, I got that PR in my my mailbox bright and early Tuesday morning. Um, but yeah, yeah, US Book Show was last week. And, you know, I got a log, I press pass, and I logged in. And I have to be honest, you know, I uh, maybe I was just, you know, so bored of being at home with and missing my shows. But uh, I probably spent like the next, I, I spent the hey. whole morning. I spent like three or four hours going through the different booths and I, you know, I saw your, your Keanu Reeves interview. Had some of the highest viewership of anything at the show. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, that was mentioned in the PR, to be honest, Calvin. Apparently, and, people really like movie stars. Yes. And so walk our listeners through what the virtual experience of this was like. Like, so, okay. So I log on. What are these quote unquote booths? What what uh, well, kind of medium experience would I be having? Well, as a, a lot of these kind of uh, in you know uh, uh, exhibition environments have it, you, when you log into it, you're brought to kind of a crowded lobby space for one of a better way to describe it, and you know there are various icons uh, over, and I think there was an image of some indeterminate convention center in some indeterminate place. Uh, to give you the feel of being in a soulless corporate, <laughs> uh, yes. just so that you know, in case you were wondering where you were going, uh, it, it wasn't the Javits Center, but it was some, you know, something comparable. The, you know, as Carl Sagan might have, or uh, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson might have put it, it was the convention hall of the mind. Yes, exactly. I guess I couldn't <laughs> say it better myself. And. And then what you find on that this lobby page really is a variety of icons to send you to various places. Um, uh, you know, the, the auditorium. Uh, there was an exhibition hall. In fact, it was really. I mean, the exhibition hall had. Wow, let's see. I've got some numbers here. Um, I mean, I think there were 122 exhibitor booths. And as Heidi said, there was actually a lot of uh, action in these booths because each, you know, each publisher or exhibitor. Had a kind of space where they could do their own online events. And some of them did chats. Uh, they were giving away galleys. So you could kind of go there and meet authors or actually talk with other members of the publishing house. Uh, then, of course, the auditorium 
was basically, you know, a place to listen to when panels uh, and presentations started. Uh, and then, of course, you know, throughout the day, you could go back if you missed something and, and get it replayed. And, and if uh, you are oh, logged in, a lot of the, the, the panels will be up for a specific amount of time. I think it was in July or no, they're going to be, be a- up until uh, I think they've just launched. And um, uh, I think if you go to PW, you can find a link to it because you have to go and register. Obviously, they want some email address, yeah. some contact info. But once you log in, it doesn't cost a thing. Uh, you can go back and and see everything, replay yeah. the stuff, and look that, at the I chat mean, list. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I will say we've come a long way in a year of online events. And, uh, you know, I was talking to Absolutely. Philip Sablick at Boom Studios, and he was saying, you know, everybody at Boom has learned to be a video editor. And, you know, now mm. they they have a whole YouTube channel, and they're constantly doing events. And, I mean, they've gotten a lot better at it. Everybody's gotten better at this. And, you know, I haven't done a lot of online events because, you know, I'm sick of online. But um, <laughs> I, I thought, but I was quite engaged by the U.S. Book Show. Uh, I well, enjoyed they, going they, to the different booths and seeing what mm-hmm. we went. Well, the whole idea was to recreate the experience of Book Expo. So uh, uh, Meg Lemke did the, the, the editor's picks for graphic novels, and she had eight, ed- you know, she had eight editors on, four adult, four children, uh, and they were with, they, they did pre-recorded uh, presentations and then they had a you know I had about an hour session where they answered uh, you know live questions from Meg so that worked off well you know I did the you know a one-on-one with uh, with Keanu Reeves and his creative team you know Ron Garney and Matt uh, Matt Kent uh, and uh, then I also did a uh, a panel with um, let's see uh, at Brubaker um, uh, Brandon uh, Sanderson uh, with the uh, graphic novel adaptation of his fantasy work they're doing, and um, uh, and uh, Andrew Iden, uh who was there with Run, you know, the sequel to um, uh, the Marsh trilogy. Uh, then, of course, the keynotes. Oprah Winfrey gave the, the keynote. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has a, uh, a children's book coming out. Uh, Stevie Van uh-huh. Zandt was there. Uh, Brian Selznick has a new graphic book coming out. Uh, Padma Lakshmi was there mm-hmm. talking about whatever food thing that she does. I haven't seen it yet, so I have to go back and look at it. Uh, and because of that, we're going to do it again. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see, obviously, what the landscape for virtual shows are in the future as we start to see the return of in-person shows. Well, I, you know, I think – and I think this, like I said, it was like a let's put on a show vibe yeah. that – Every you know, next year you're going to get lots of complaints and misery because that's how people are. But you know, this year it was like everybody was like the you know rookie sensation, and and I, and I just uh, I, I mean George is right. I said this last time, but you know, props to George, props to Jim, Kevin, mm-hmm. the whole PW team. Uh, we need a book show. We need a yeah. U.S. book show. And uh, you know, I, you guys, I was thinking today as I was walking around, and I thought about how. You know, I I doubt I'm going to go to this Thanksgiving San Diego con um, because it's mm. Thanksgiving. I think they did that on purpose so that it wouldn't be to keep it dead. Yeah, because everybody <laughs> yeah. I've talked to is like, oh, I'd like to go, but you know, I want to see my family for Thanksgiving. I think they did it on purpose. Mm. Um, but you know, if probably all things going, it'll they'll hold it next year. You know, it'll be three years, three years since we went to San Diego. Three wow. years. Wow, think about it. I mean, yeah. and, I mean, it's going to be three I mean, years. 
for all of these for T cats. And you've got, I mean, you've got the longest streak, you know, among yeah. us here. Yeah. I mean, I've got yeah. a decent streak. Um, I, I started going in '98, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 a little odd to not. It's, it's very have been odd. There. But you know, um, as we look around, you know, uh, it looks like we we're going to be back there at some well, point. There we are, we are, and you know, there's a New York Comic Con is definitely they're making lots of noises about It'll it. Be about being in person, yeah. 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 So, so we'll, we'll see. Yeah. More to come. Now, the um, it will be archived until August 31st. Mm. So anyone can go register and go back and relive the thrilling event that was U.S. Book Show. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna just. When I'm sad, I'm gonna go and just walk around New York. <laughs> there you go. So uh, yeah, so I, I will be inter- interviewing Keanu but I, uh, for I, all time. For all time. So. <laughs> <laughs> on, a, on some time loop, loop, little looper there, loop. yeah, like that. All those books, you know, Eternal Con that kind of goes on. So we have a bunch of uh, the industry is on the move. I mean, it's it's we're really. Um, we're really like, you know, things are springing back to life very fast, well, especially here in New York. I mean, our COVID rates are so low. And I mean, when you go, I, I mean, Kate, I think yeah, we were on a crowded subway tonight, you know. Yeah. So some things we don't like that are coming back. But, uh, but yeah, so we're seeing a lot of stirring out there in the comics industry, people moving around. Uh, let's see what we have. Um, well, speaking of, of uh, you know, people getting out more and doing more things. Um, listeners, for the second time since the pandemic, only the second time this podcast was met in person. Yes, um, that's right. Second oh, yeah, that's right. Yes. You will see um, an image in your podcast feed or on our site where it's us in person being still human beings and definitely not replaced by bots. Which was wonderful. So wonderful. It was a yes, nice yeah. day, beautiful Memorial Day. It was so great to see you guys in person, uh, really. Yeah, no, um, this was – yeah. Yeah. When, when, did we, when did we when did we see each other again? It was again? Last, last summer. In, last yeah, summer. in the summertime. That's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 So um, there we go. And, and with, PW offices have moved very slightly to the <laughs> what to the east of the old one, um, and they're renovating. But actually, we hope to be doing this thing rather than scattered around various locales yeah. in New York City. To We're hopefully hoping to go back a, to normal. Hopefully doing it, you know, in one in spot face to face again in the office, so, in the new yeah. office. So a new office. Yes, that it would yeah. be very exciting. Um, so, yeah. But um, but yeah, let's see what let's see what we have here. A lot of people. OK, so there was a couple changes at Boom. Uh, so Ross Ritchie, who's the founder of Boom, uh, he moved up to the chairman to become chair of the board of directors, uh, like the previous chair stepped down and, and Ross moved up and uh, left the boom being run by the same people who are actually kind of running it day to day already, like Philip Sablik <laughs> and Stephen Christie mm-hmm. and um, Matt Gagnon, their editor in chief. So, uh, you know, I think it was more like, I mean, I don't know. Some people called me up and said, what do you think that means? And I was like, well, I think Ross just move it up, you know, to I don't think he was that involved day to day. So, yeah, so let's do it. Mm-hmm. He, he's the big picture guy. Yes. And then, uh, well, Spencer Simpson, who was a uh, sales, you know, manager of sales at Boom, he left and uh, <laughs> but now he's gone to D.C. as director of sales. And Kevin I know. was talking to him the other day, right? And he yeah, did not well, let, uh, he did not. 
Well, well, Spencer and 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 Philip, as a matter of fact, were, were among some of the contacts um, uh, for us uh, at the U.S. Book Show, uh, you know, about bringing on um, you know Keanu Reeves and working with his team. And so, um, you know, all of them kind of were handling different aspects of it. And Spencer kind of, you know, he kind of sent out at the end of the show, he sent out, it was like, hey, thanks, everybody. I'm I'm leaving, boom, and I'm going to let you know, you know, where I land. And now I just found out where he landed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, at, not well, surprising for Spencer to land on both feet. Well, I... You know, I you know DC also uh, hired um, Nick Valenti. Now Calvin yeah. and I know Nick so well because he's been at Bender Helper, which is DC's agency. Uh, you know, Nick has been the guy, you know, sitting there looking at his phone while we do an interview so many times for years. You know, God bless. I, 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 yeah. I mean, I love Nick. I love working with Nick. Yeah, and no. now he's been hired on at DC as senior publicity manager. Yeah. So it's uh, you know, I think this is semi notable because um, over the last Last year, DC pretty much fired everybody in those mm-hmm. departments. So it's almost so, like you need people to do things. Yeah, so they seem to be reassembling a team, you know, bit by bit there. Um, so yeah, um, we will be revisiting this, and obviously we've got you know new people to deal with. Yeah, yeah, but uh, they are kind of like the old people we dealt well, with. Well, familiar people, so familiar, <laughs> familiar people we're already people, dealing yes. with who are just yes. in a new place. So, uh, but you know, Spencer Spencer's a very smart guy. Um, yes. We've known him since his books a million days, yes, right, Kevin? Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, so, um, so uh, I think that's a great hire for DC. Super hope, capable guy. Yeah, so, and I, I hope that that is a, um, a you know a sign that things at DC are stabilizing in the wake of the discovery. Uh, deal uh but there's also been a departure from bc uh just this just tweeted out hasn't really hit the wires yet but jamie s rich who was the oh. uh, group editor of the superman group has left dc as tom king tweeted that uh i know tom and uh d- jamie were very close i mean but jamie did everything at dc i mean he ran vertigo for a while yes. i mean yes. he bought yes. in an awful lot he worked on i think some of their ya titles um you know, he did the Batman books. He was like a real key figure there. And now we haven't heard where he's going yet. Um, I mean, um, a lot of people seem to think he might be joining a web comics company. Mm, could so. be. Well, you know, I- interesting. Um, what? Michelle Wells? Yes. Um, she's at uh, Tapas. Yes, she's at Tapas. Yes. So, and she's putting together a huge, you know, she, I mean, all, both of these, these, um, Web comics ventures out there are looking to the print world now, also. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. you know. Oh well, and you know, well, we, there's there's still more to come. There was even more to come. Uh, let's see where if I can find this. Uh, you know, Hank Canals. Um, so oh really? Hank, yeah, yeah. Yes, Hank was a very big wig at DC for years, yes, for and, years uh, and he, yes, for years and years, he was kind of like he like like one of their recent AT and T. Mandated restructuring. Um, Hank was like one of three people. It was like Bob Harris, Hank Canals, and Allison Gill. Like Hank was all the operation stuff. So he was a big, uh, a big whoop there. And now, but he was let go, uh, in that thing, you know, where they let go of pretty much all the VPs and, uh, who did anything except for like a skeleton crew. But he has reemerged with two new gigs, actually. So he is yeah. the, 
Um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, head of publishing at Immortal Studios. Uh, have you heard of them, you guys? Never. No, no I have not. I, I, this is news to me, too. I'll okay. Buy. So, more. okay. Well, sorry to spring it on you. But That's I, all right. <laughs> I, I had all these notes about comings and goings. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Immortal Studios uh, is a uh, wuxia, uh, like yuja. Yeah. So, they are, uh, which is Chinese martial arts fantasy. Uh, genre. Uh, it's, there's a lot of comics about it uh, in Asia and China. Uh, so they are a content provider that specializes in that genre. So they're starting out with comics like you do. Uh, they also have some game content. But uh, and as they uh, build up, they're going to to do more. Uh, so, um, you know, media, gay, all that stuff. And so Hank is obviously a pretty um, strong person to be in there uh, running their publishing. However, he's also... Um, publisher at Clover Press. Did you know that, Calvin? Oh, really? I didn't know that either. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. yeah. That's so, Ted, uh, Ted Adams is. Ted uh, Adams. Yeah. So Ted uh, Adams for all the IDW has this kind of little boutique publisher. And so Hank has taken a position as publisher there. So he's the publisher of two different companies. Yeah, so, okay. so that's how talented Hank Canals is. He can juggle right. two different companies. Um, and also just a little smaller note that I had here is that Ari Yarwood, who's an editor at Oni, uh, she left, and now she's at uh, Silver Sprocket, uh, you know, which is a uh, oh, you know, oh, that's right. In fact, I needed to, I wanted to mark because that's a Silver Sprocket is a really interesting small publisher, um, and um, I recall she did uh, uh, sign on there, but I, I hadn't noted it in my own coverage. So yes, yes. So thanks yeah, for bringing I that mean, up. I mean, well, I, yeah, I've been t- t- doing notes. I mean. Uh, to, to do a big old roundup. I mean, it's a, there's a lot yeah. to talk about. So, uh, yeah, so people are on the move, and I'm hearing there's more to come. There are uh, more on the move. Um, so we'll see. There's a lot going on out there. All right. Uh, that's great. So, all right. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I learned something on this show, whether I'm listening to it and even when I'm on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So shall we move to the next topic? Um of, of uh, and if I'm quoting from your story, Heidi, how nimble uh, <laughs> Diamond, Diamond can be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listeners, yes, you, you do hear the sound of bitter irony. <laughs> well, we were talking. I, I think we actually mentioned this because last time we were talking about how Diamond had finally announced their Marvel terms, and um, and I think I might have even brought up the fact that Paul Box. I was yet to um, to come out. So basically, uh, I looked at my story on the beat. Uh, I wrote about how the first time I covered this was four years ago, in 2017, when they said it was going to be in beta and it was going to come out probably in a year. So Pullbox, you know, what is this? Is it like, you know, like an operating system? Is it like, you know, Diablo 4? <laughs> is it like, you know, the next Final <laughs> Fantasy game? No, it's a software that ties into your comic shop where, uh, say, you know, we don't have this, and we talked about this ad infinitum during the shutdown last year, but um, say you pick up the New York Times, and it talks about how um, John, uh, Sing, uh, John Ridley mm. is writing a new Black Panther comic, and you think, that's cool, I want to buy that. And the comic isn't coming out for months because they did that to get the retailers excited, So, but now... In theory, if you had Pullbox, I mean, you know, if you there's some other software like, um, uh, you know, Comic Hub, which you talked about, also advertising. Yes. But but if, so if you sign up for Pullbox, you could go on and you know, hopefully it would be up there and you would be able to say uh, to your store, I want this when it comes out. 
um, simple, but um, you know, it's like a wish list for graphics. Actually, you wrote about it for PW in 2018, if I'm not mistaken, um, at one of yeah. the uh, what's what's it the Diamond Retailer Summit back in those back in the day. Uh, so, uh, but it's finally arrived. Yeah, uh, says they've it lost took its sweet their time. two biggest you know clients. Well, as I I think <laughs> I wrote in my clients. story, um, you know they're checking off their to do list at Diamond, so uh, which is good. <laughs> Uh, everyone should do that, you know, and if you've had uh, an item on there for four years, it's time to check it off. Uh, listen, the reason why we're sort of a little um, snotty about this is that, um, you know, Comixology had a similar um, software. I think it was called Pull List, similar, yeah. that they offered. And you know what? Retailers loved it. Retailers signed up for it. And, you know, I've talked to plenty of retailers about Pullbox. They're very excited about it because they think it will increase their sales. You know, it's a great sales tool for them to be able to, like you do with everything else. Everything else, you go on, you pre-order it, you know? Yeah. So, um, And the comic industry really relies on pre-orders to a great yes. degree. Yes. Uh, and the thing is, Look, I, I'm not a computer programmer. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm not. And I know that Diamond is not a computer company. But why on earth did this take four years? This is worth the money <laughs> to hire somebody or a couple somebodies and make it come out in, I don't know, a year. Because they missed out on three years of money. Well, not only that. But, uh, you know, I went on Twitter to see who was talking about this. And if you type in Diamond Pull Box, the first tweet that comes up is one that I wrote in 2019. It would be coming out at the beginning of 2020. Now, understood, understandable that they did not launch it in the pandemic. OK, right. Um, however, if they'd had it during the pandemic. The things might have been a little different. So, you know, Kate, I actually heard a lot of scuttlebutt about why it took them so long. Uh, I mean, Diamond's not a software company, and they are extremely conservative about new business models. Um, but they have to be more nimble to survive this. Right. You know. But, I mean, they already had decided on this new business model. So you think they could have hired actual software people to do it? Well, from your mouth to God's ear. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Well, um, well yeah, speaking it, it, of retailing, yeah. there's a new going to be a yeah. new store on the scene here. Yeah, right? well, it's, it's a new store. It's kind of an old store. Um, yeah. St. Mark's Comics, the venerable East Village Comics graphic novel, pop culture merchandiser. Uh, for, it was I considered it my local uh, comic book shop for many years. I live on the Lower East Side. Uh, it was the shop that introduced me to Love and Rockets uh, back in the 80s. Um, uh, it was a, um, yeah, a magnet. It was dimly lit, you know, um, you know, kind of dreary looking, but it was an absolute gold mine of comics. Um, you, you could find underground comics from the underground years, literally. Uh, it really was to me, I, it was, uh, a haven for comics. Well, it um, was a literally underground store. It was, it was literally in the basement. Yes, it was in the basement uh, and uh, owned by uh, Mitch Cutler and uh, closed after 36 years uh, in this in that spot uh, in the East Village on St. Mark's Place near Third Avenue. Uh, it, they closed down. Uh, Mitch said 
you know what? He needed a break after 36 years of working 15 hours a day and shut down. But it is about to reopen in a new location, uh, Industry City, and very interesting kind of mixed-use retail events and manufacturing space in Brooklyn near the waterfront. Uh, it's a complex of renovated buildings. I think they were originally uh, constructed in the 1890s, and they've been rebuilt. From what I understand, there are bars, restaurants, shopping. Uh, the buildings are connected by courtyards where there are live events and exercise class. And there's I, also a giant, that giant statue of Captain America. There's a giant statue of Captain America. I have never been out there, but I'm getting my butt out there. If I'm not mistaken, uh, you can take the water ferry also because I think it drops. You in. cannot take – well, maybe they're going to open I, a, are they I thought it was shoot? nearby. I thought it dropped uh, off nearby. Yeah, sort of, kind of. I mean, you sort can – kind of. Nice little walk. Let's put it that it's way. A, so, okay, so it's not, not that right close. There, but it's, you can certainly take the water ferry there, which I watch, which I would do since I love the the water, like the ferry. Yeah, I've been out there. Never did find the statue. I went there actually to find the statue of Captain America, but I couldn't. But yeah, it's a fantastic, really lively, um, beautiful uh, place. I mean, as people start getting out and going and doing things, um, certainly uh, they'll be at the Industry City. Um, you know, one of the other things, though, uh, reasons why. Mitch was just ready to pack it up was that St. Mark's itself, um, you know, even before the pandemic, so many stores had closed on St. Mark's Place. And, um, you know, it was once a real thriving retail hub. And um, I would have to say it's not, you know, it wasn't thriving even before the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it had changed. I mean, it, I mean, it was always a pretty crazy street. Uh, <laughs> section, that section of St. Mark's. I mean, it was a combination of like everything you expect about New York and everything you expect about touristy New York too. Yeah. Um, but it was, it's really one of the first spots I gravitated to when I came to the city. Oh, yeah. Because um, I used to live on, uh, I used to live, oh, I'm on Avenue B now, but I used to live in a Avenue B that was a very different world than it is now. <laughs> Uh, and believe me, it was mind blowing. Um, but really, uh, you know, St. Mark's was a, just an anchor of pop culture there. Uh, like I said, I mean, I bought my first copies of Love and Rockets at St. Mark's Comics and many other comics since then. Yeah. So I'm I really mean, excited yeah. to see that he's back. Um, uh, I'm going to get my butt out there. Uh, it's, it's going to be a 1700 square foot place. Um, Mitch avows that it will be airier, lighter, and hopefully a lot tidier than the old space. Um, and the old place was a lot smaller. So, you know, I can see how it'd be easier to find things in a place where everything was not squished together in the eccentric way it was there. Eccentric is the perfect word. July 30th is the opening date uh, for the new store. He's racing to get it ready. Um, and I should also just add, uh, you know, I happen to put a couple questions to him about, you know, the new transformed direct market. Uh, you know, obviously it's going through some changes, uh, particularly with the entry of uh, Penguin Random House. Uh, Mitch uh, described himself as very excited to work with PRH. Um, he thinks the terms, and I should say in my story, I mentioned free shipping and the, the discount, but he, but, but Mitch, uh, made it a point to mention, uh, 
60-day payment terms, which he also considers a game changer uh, for helping uh, uh, direct market stores. So uh, we will likely be more to come on uh you know on on prh as we as we know oh yes but there is a lot more to come on that. there's much more to come on that but and i uh, heard i yes. heard uh let me put it this way marvel is not going to be the only comic that switches distributors over the next 12 months surprise surprise, surprise. yeah but i call that a prediction i don't yeah. know any details but um yeah oh bet- oh listener if yeah. you could if you could only see the knowing look on Heidi's face. Well it's I the, don't I smell a story look. Well, when Heidi knows she knows. Well I but I, I'm saying <laughs> I don't know who it is, but no, uh, I'm sure there but, will be. There are talks. I was gonna say there are talks. You, you know let, let's be for real, for real. <laughs> uh, uh, Marvel is not gonna be the only publisher distributed by PRH yes. uh forever. So, yes. Yes. you know, so, yes. yeah. Um, uh, so anyway, uh, kudos uh, to uh, Mitch. Oh, and I should also mention uh, his his partner, Nick. Uh, uh, let me make. I don't want to mismouse his name. No, no, he has a long Nick. Uh, Nick Giangara. Mm-hmm. Um, he um, uh, they're going to really be in, they're really going to have a, a large supply of vintage toys. And that's his category. He's going to manage it. Uh, and um I'm just excited and anxious to get over there and see the new store and and actually take a uh, a look at the larger in- industry city complex. Yeah, you will have you will uh it will be a new destination for you, Calvin, for sure. Yep. yep, so. yep. Um. Well, uh, so switching over to some streaming news, some media news. So, uh, you know, industry watchers were pretty shocked this week. Uh, when uh, it was revealed that Netflix was not moving forward right away. I mean, they couched it like they said every word but the C word cancellation. But it's pretty clear uh, that there is not going to be a second season of Jupiter's Legacy, uh, which launched with some fanfare earlier last month. And they had released the cast from their um, <laughs> from their uh, contracts. And that was it. Um, So what's notable about it is that it was the first show in the Millerverse acquisition. Now, you might remember, again, three years ago. I love that we have this continuity because for sure we talked about it when it happened. But, um, you know, they they acquired, they bought uh, Mark Miller's uh, comics that didn't already have media ownership, things like Kick-Ass, Wanted, and Kingsman. With great fanfare. With great fanfare and that they were going to, you know, it was the golden age of the IP uh, for Mark Miller. But he, he wrote, he said, uh, uh, he put up a tweet about the newsbroken deadline and then Miller um, said, a, uh, blah, blah, blah. I've been asked a lot about what we're planning next with this world. And the answer is to see what the supervillains are getting up to. I've always loved crime stories from Scorsese to Tarantino. And supervillains are always the most fun part of any superhero story. To do something exclusively focused on the villains they fight just feels incredibly fresh. Blah, 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 blah. So I'm happy to share that our next step here is a live-action version of the Super Crooks comic that I created with Lynn L. Francis Yu a few years back. Given where we're going next... We've made that t- tough call of letting our incredible cast out of the show. Um, so the Super Crooks is c- sort of set in the same universe as Jupiter's Legacy, but it's already debuting as an anime-style show uh, later this year. So that should be coming pretty soon. Hmm. 
Um, you know, so uh, so what really is the tea here? Uh, you know, this was iced tea uh, that was almost too strong to drink um, <laughs> because um, okay. because um, you know Boris Kitt at the Hollywood Reporter started tweeting. Uh, and boy, he was down on the show. How bad were the metrics? Jupiter's Legacy debuted May 7th and no one's, uh, the show's, okay. Um, Jupiter's Legacy, for the many who didn't watch it, was supposed to go on for several seasons <laughs> and had a big reveal cliffhanger ending. Mark Miller was even launching a new 12 issue comic tied to it. As per sources, Jupiter's Legacy cost around $200 million, reshoots and everything included, so this is a sizable loss. Uh, yeah, no shit. Now, if you've looked at any of the stills from the show, it does not look like it cost $200 million. It looks more like the Inhumans. Now, just no, – if that tea – if you didn't like the iced tea – that came some hot tea uh, because it, it can't possibly be as bad as the Inhumans. It's not possible. No, it's not possible. But I'm just saying that the wigs did not look any better than the Inhumans in the stills. Mm, well, there's that. that. Um, so here's a little even more tea uh, that Stephen DeKnight, who was the showrunner of Daredevil and some of the better received um, Marvel shows on Netflix, was the, originally the showrunner of Jupiter's Legacy. But he left over creative differences a few episodes in. Uh, and he started tweeting out too. <laughs> I, you know, like, oh, here's what I would have done. You know, here's what I was planning to do. Oh, I'm so sad this show got canceled. Um, uh, so he says, he says, he says it's all about the money. Can't spend that much and have the first season flop. So, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. like their BT. Um, so but, you know, this is unusual, and it means it was a flop, a, a real flop, because Netflix <laughs> is known for being patient. You know, yeah, but, they they don't keep shows forever, but they rarely cancel after the first season, especially when they invest the way they did in this. So to like bail after the first season is a a very bad sign indeed. It is, and it, it's what's interesting, especially interesting to me, is that when they bought Millerverse, it was or Miller World. I would say Millerverse, the Miller World. Um, it seemed like Netflix wanted to invest in owning their own IP because that's something else. Denight kept saying over and over again, Netflix owns this show. Netflix mm. owns this show. You know, it wasn't from a production company like The Witcher or Shadow and Bone, which have been, you know. Or Umbrella Academy, which was a big hit, or you know any of those shows that I wrote about in my streaming article that have been huge, on, <laughs> big hits, big hits. Um, you know, they they own it, they own it, and um, but anyway, when they bought Millerverse, everybody was like Miller World, everybody was like, oh, Netflix really needs their own IP, you know, they want to be an IP studio, and uh, their first time out of the box, at least where Mark Miller's concerned, um, they spent way too much money. And got way too little return. Uh, ouch. Mm. But that's the media biz, huh? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes a you lot get a of hit, media companies have been buying the streaming rights, the television rights, the movie rights to any even vaguely promising graphic novel that's marketed to them the right way. And uh, it's not always going to work out if you don't pick wisely and if you don't know your audience. Um, 
I mean, a lot of us, when we heard it was going to be Jupiter's Legacy, I'm not going to lie. The, what I heard a lot of is, why would they pick that one? It's not very Miller. Well, you know, a lot of Mark's books are deliberately shocking. <laughs> yeah, you know? but the, the thing is, that's what makes them popular with their fans. The not shocking one kind of lacks what makes it Miller. Well, that, you know, I, I, I noticed that. And, I, I, you know, Mark Miller kind of really burst on the consciousness with uh, Wanted and then Kick-Ass. I mean, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. he took a lot of ownership of Kick-Ass, and it was shocking. Um, you know, it got a lot of note. It was unbelievably violent. Um, it was Kick-Ass, uh, though. I, I actually have to admit, I have never read uh, Jupiter's Legacy. Uh, I, I, I do want to see the show because I was sort of curious about it. Um, but well, I'm a big fan of Kick-Ass. Right, right, and uh, and you know, but then his biggest hit was um, was uh, you, you know, The Kingsman, which was called oh, right, yeah. the Golden Circle, you know, done with gentleman Dave Gibbons, and um, you know, this is a whole movie series of movies. I mean, they have spinoffs of these movies, and you know, I think there've been three of them, yeah. and there there there's there's a spinoff in the in the works. So you know, yeah. so clearly Miller can be sold. Yeah, you're well, selling what makes him Miller. Well, I will say this: both Kickass and The Kingsmen were directed by Matthew Vaughn, um, who and written by Jane Goldman. And guess what? I think that is a very powerful collaborators for him. So um, you know, but well, they're I think not you're... just powerful collaborators; they're people who get his appeal to the people who love him. One hundred percent. You're Always absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely right. Absolutely right. Is and that another streaming news? Mm-hmm. Yes. Is there more? So on a happier oh, yeah. note, um, there have been some more casting announcements for uh, Neil Gaiman's Sandman series. Yes, they've announced uh, half of the endless. Um, and, um, you know, Neil Gaiman made the announcements in a blog post. And, um, you know, I think it's kind of interesting. Like, there's a couple of names in there that are pretty well known. Like, you know, well, I was going to say Stephen Fry. But Stephen Fry is a little bit of a cult actor if you're really into Britcoms and everything. You know, it's Well, I, he's, he's a lot less cult than some of the other names there. Yes. I will say this, that, I mean, the cast looks great. And I just think it's interesting that yeah. after 30 years of, you know, who should play who in Sandman with, you know, oh, it should be Tom Cruise or, you know, it should be <laughs> Angelina Jolie. And, you know, they finally are making it. And, uh, you, you know, it's, it's definitely uh, a lot of uh, up-and-comers, let's put it that way, which is great. I'm sure well, they'll be awesome, and it'll make you know. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just it, 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 there's a little bit of irony there to me. Well, I I think that it's the Scarlett O'Hara effect. I think that they want. I mean, aside from saving money, which of course saving money is always good. Uh, I think that they want people who aren't so strongly associated in the public's mind with any other character or persona. Mm. I think. They hmm, want people to see Dream when they look at Dream yeah. and not see an actor they've seen in a million other things. You're, you're, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Kate, do you want to talk about there was one casting note that was a bit nose noteworthy? Yes. So something that uh, a lot of people appear to be unaware of, uh, even if supposedly they're fans, 
is that the Sandman series actually has a very prominent um, non-binary character, which is to say Desire, who is persistently referred to and depicted as being completely gender ambiguous. Um, and so in a act of casting that did require some additions to the usual casting notice, um, Desire has been cast as a non-binary actor. So the concept being that in the original comic is that Desire is whatever the viewer or victim desires. And so therefore, you know, that that has to have a little flexibility in it. Um, So the non-binary actor Mason Alexander Park, uh, who uses they, them pronouns, is going to be playing um, Desire. And so therefore this necessitated in the little casting sheet the the pronouns of, of the other actors and actresses who will be playing other major roles. Um, but there's definitely some interest. It's not the only interesting bit of casting. Um, basically, um, Joanna Constantine is going to be in this series, which is a deep cut. Um, especially, and it sort of suggests she's going to have a bigger role than in the graphic novel series, given that she's being cast as Jenna Coleman, known from Doctor Who. Um, it, it keeps up the um, race-blind casting of uh, previous picks for this series. Um, as Kirby Howell Baptiste is going to be playing Death, and Kirby Howell Baptiste is decidedly not a pale-skinned Tori Amos impersonator <laughs> <laughs> in a black wig. That's right. You go, Neil Gaiman. Oh, well, now, Death wasn't Tori Amos. That was Delirium, but sure. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. They were... They were, I think, both supposed to be different aspects, but never mind. In any event, she's not. Yeah. But she is. Is a really good actress. Uh, and also, uh, um, Rose Walker and Unity Kincaid will also be cast as black. So that adds sort of a dimension of something a little different to the visuals and the casting. And, you know, I really think that it does have the whiff of having picked exactly who they thought would play the roles best. Absolutely. And, yeah, um, that was out. yeah, no question. And, you know, Neil, very, very protective of Sandman. Neil's quite protective of a lot of his things, but, um, but especially, especially Sandman. Sandman. And, uh, he's quite involved in this adaptation. Um, and, you know, he, there was some clapback. I mean, there was some clapback about the casting and he, he actually tweeted about it, which I was like, you know, like, do you really need to respond to some rando bigot on Twitter? Do we really, does that really, I mean, but I, you know what? I get it. I mean, he wanted to make a stand to show, mm-hmm. uh, how important it is to stand up for this kind of casting. So, I mean, mm-hmm. more yeah. power to Neil on that. Um, you know, I absolutely don't mean he shouldn't have made a statement, but I, I it does sometimes bemuse me when, uh, you know, I, so, like I said, you know, if you go into the bathroom and there's some graffiti on the wall and you spend your time responding to it, is that really the best use of your time? Yeah. <laughs> well, what I thought was interesting that came out of this was the comment in response, on Gaiman's part, in response to a negative tweet from an internet nobody was, 
I spent 30 years uh, battling. I spent 30 years successfully battling bad movies of Sandman. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, went on to say that he doesn't care what, you know, other people think about his casting. Uh, but. Yeah. Yeah. That 30 years battling bad movies of Sandman. I, I do wonder what those bad movies of Sandman that never were. were. Oh, my I'm God. I'm glad I... we didn't get them. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, right. yeah. That's yeah. about it, right? Like, uh, yeah. Can I yeah. very quickly jump oh, yeah. in? I, as, uh, as usual, I want to flag some stories on, on PW, uh, uh, dot com slash uh, comics uh, for people to check out. We have a um, <clears throat> an author profile of the great Alison Bechtel, and uh, we talked about her new book. Uh, it's written by um, uh, Bridget Alveson. It's called The Secret to Superhuman Strength. Uh, wonderful new, I mean, kind of her latest effort in looking back on her life. Um, so check it out at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And also um, Dan Nadell, uh, well-known around here, but kind of uh, off the scene for a little bit is the curator of a really fabulous show um, in Chicago. Um, it, it's the, the exhibition is called um, Chicago Comics 1960 to Now. Uh, but uh, the book that he's put together, which is actually a companion uh, to that show, is called It's Life as I See It, Black Cartoonists in Chicago, 1940 to 1980. It's a really wonderful uh Look at a, a community of, of black comics creators in Chicago, uh, how they flourished, and how the black press, the black, excuse me, the black, the black press, um, uh, specifically the Chicago Defender and others like that, uh, really supported and helped nurture their work over the years. So check us out, uh, a couple of stories, uh, and that's actually an interview with Dan Nadell by one of my uh, wonderful writers, Eugene uh, Holly Jr. So check it out, publisherswiki.com slash comics. Well, there you go. All right. Well, there turned out there was quite a bit of news this week after all. <laughs> well, we certainly yeah, talked about it. may not have it. been a barn burner, but you know, there was a lot of stuff to check in on. There was a lot of little things here and there that will probably bear fruit in the future. But until next time, there will always be more to... Come.